the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, October the 25th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on October 25th, 1983, U.S.-led forces invaded Grenada at the order of President Ronald Reagan. He said the action was needed to protect the U.S. citizens there. The U.S. citizens in Grenada agreed. They wanted President Ronald Reagan to do exactly what he did. Today, in 1854, the charge of the Light Brigade took place. It was during the Crimean War. I mention it only because it's become so famous or infamous. English Brigade of more than 600 men were ordered, and they did so, charged the Russian army. They were all but wiped out because everybody there knew that they could not succeed. And books have been written, poems have been written, um, speeches have been made about the charge of the Light Brigade. Today, in 1859, abolitionist John Brown, he went to trial in Charlestown, Virginia. He was on trial for his failed raid at Harper's Ferry. Brown was convicted and hanged. Today, in 1910, America the Beautiful, words written by Catherine Lee Bates, music by Sam Ward, Samuel A. Ward, I think it is, where they were first published. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain. We don't hear that much anymore, do we? No, we don't. Uh, People in power today don't see a beautiful America. They see an America that needs to be dismantled, torn down, and in the minds of some, remade in the minds of others, I guess, left alongside the road of history just to be some kind of an artifact. I don't know. But America is beautiful in every way. Today, in 1971, the UN General Assembly voted to admit mainland China and to expel Taiwan. That was a big deal. The world generally, the global community, went along with that. The United States did not, and they have not, although they did not veto it, and they had the power to do so. Today, in 2014, the World Health Organization said that More than 10,000 people had been infected with Ebola, and nearly half of them had died. Almost 50% had died as the outbreak continued to spread. Remember that? It was a kind of sent a chill up the spine of people around the world. It was a deadly, deadly virus disease, and uh, it was dealt with as those things often, most often, are. I found it interesting. I was just scanning a bunch of news. I always do that. I consume a lot of news. I reject and kind of expel a lot of it, too. I don't I don't want to keep it in my mind and in my heart, to be honest with you. But I, I do cover a lot of it, and I consume a lot of it because of this program. And, uh, and I have a personal interest as well, for sure. 
But I noticed that former President Barack Obama was campaigning in Virginia this weekend. On Saturday, he was giving several speeches, and he said essentially the same thing at every speech, which politicians do. But he was urging voters in in, uh, Virginia. He was there campaigning for Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe was formerly a governor of the state of Virginia, and then he apparently, I think he exhausted his term. I mean, he, he was there for two terms or whatever is allowed in that state. And then he wasn't, but he's a, a major leader in the Democrat Party. He's very close to the Clintons and and Obamas and so on. So anyway, Barack Obama's down there campaigning for him. And he was urging in at least two places where he spoke that I saw, I looked at what he said. He was urging voters to dismiss the controversial issues raised by parents of children in public schools. He said that. Parents in Virginia and around the country are furious over the report of this female student, this girl, who was allegedly raped, and her father says she was, and he would know, and she says she was. She would know. She's 13 years old, and she was raped by a 14-year-old boy. I ta- I've talked about it on this program. I only keep bringing it up because it has really struck a note with America. All of us little people out here, according to the Obamas and the Bidens and whomever, um, we knew this was happening, and we knew kind of how the elite left felt about us, but this has just sort of pulled the curtain and turned on the stage lights. So Obama is there in Virginia, and he's telling people, he's calming them down. He's saying, don't worry about this. Don't pay any attention to these people. They're going around. They're just trying to stir up trouble. <laughs> we parents who are concerned, and in the this one case, they arrested this father while he was trying to tell the school board that his daughter had been raped in a bathroom at their school by a boy who said, well, I'm transitioning. I'm, I might be a girl. I'm a transgender. We have lost our minds, and we're in the process of losing our soul if we don't correct things collectively. They were even more furious in Loudoun County, Virginia, when they found out that the school district had known about this girl being raped. Not only did the did the school board order the, the authorities in the meeting to arrest the sheriff or whomever to arrest this arrest this father because he was quote unquote disrupting, but they had they knew about this case and they covered it up. They even had told the parents earlier in the meeting that they have they said we, there is no record we have no knowledge of any a girl being assaulted or mistreated or approached or whatever, and certainly not raped by a boy in the bathroom or a transgender. I'm sure they were politically correct. But this 14-year-old boy was arrested in July, and they did know about it. And it's become public now. So no wonder these parents are upset. I mean, I can imagine, I've got two daughters, and I can imagine how they feel about that happening to their children, in the case of this man, to his child. But Obama dismissed these controversies. He, You know what he called it? He, he, he told the crowd, and it was a pretty big crowd, he said, this is fake outrage. 
And Obama said this about parents. He was talking about parents. It wasn't like a general statement. It was specifically directed at parents being upset. He said, this is fake outrage. And he said, it's, quote, trumped up, the word Trump, trumped up culture wars. He said, we don't have time to be wasted on these phony trumped up culture wars, this fake outrage, the right wing media's pedal to the uh, media's pedals to juice their ratings. What he was saying is that the conservative media are just reporting on this so they can get more people to watch their news. And that's exactly what the left does. This Republican candidate for governor there in Virginia, this Glenn Youngkin, I mentioned him a week before last on this program. I wasn't aware of him before, but I guess he's highly respected. He's a very successful businessman and very conservative from what I can read. I don't know much about him, uh, but apparently he is polar opposite to McCullough. McCullough is Hillary Clinton, uh, much better spoken, but basically Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama combined. But Youngkin is, has really gained. He didn't have a chance, according to the polls, back some months ago. Now it's a tight race. In fact, some polls are showing that he's ahead by a couple of points. So we'll see what what comes of that uh, race and that election. It's coming up like it's either this week or next week. Uh, it's right away. So anyway, we'll see what happens. But I found that interesting that a former president of the United States was down in Virginia telling the public, that this is all fake outrage because parents are concerned about their children and that the the left should ignore it and just don't worry about those people because they're just all, you know, worked up and the media is covering those stories because they want to juice up their ratings. That pretty much says it all, doesn't it? The assault continues daily on Christianity in America, a nation that was founded by godly founders, for the most part, and there certainly was a Christian consensus among all of those who founded America. Some of them, most of them, most all of them were devout Christians. They spoke of their Christianity. They spoke of their love for the Lord. They spoke in deeply conservative biblical terms, quoting the Bible often as they founded this new country after winning a war that nobody on this planet thought they could win, our Revolutionary War. They founded a nation based not on ancient bloodlines, not on ancient boundaries, but they founded a nation based on godly principles. There's hardly a classroom in America that will utter those words anymore, but it used to be common fair that kids learned about the founding of America for religious freedom and so on. Not so much anymore. In fact, the opposite is true. We're said to be a horrible place with a horrible history. Systemic racism. And if you're white especially, you are guilty for the rest of your life. How did we get here? Compromise. I want to talk to you a little bit about compromise today as time allows. I want to talk about how it works and I'll give you an example of what's happening as it happened over the weekend. Not Obama telling the public to forget about those parents that are concerned about their children being raped 
in a public school restroom by a boy that is pretending to be a girl. No, these these are leaders. These are preachers. They all got together. It's happening all over the nation. They all got together to reimagine God, to rethink God. And these people have influence over groups of people, congregations, etc. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what they're doing, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the idea of compromise and how pervasive it is in our culture today. I also want to thank you for your support. It is really vital. I know there's a ton of voices out there calling out for your financial support. You know, write me a check. Um, I understand that, and some of them aren't worth supporting. Some of them are. And you have to discern what is and what isn't, because I don't think any of us can do as much as we'd like to do for the work of the Lord. And at least the people I know, and I know certainly I, I wish I could do more, but we do as much as we can, Marjorie and I do, personally. I understand that. We all have restraints. So we have to make decisions. What will we support? What will we not? And I want to thank all of you who support this ministry. I know there are many voices but I want to thank you for supporting us. We need it, and we would not be here without it. And that's not just a, uh, a slogan. If it weren't for you, we would not be having this conversation. And if you are not there, we won't be here either. So thank you for your support. From the bottom of my heart, I feel deeply called to this, very passionate about it. I wouldn't do it otherwise. I feel God has led me to do this. And so thank you for standing with me. I, I can't tell you and adequately express my appreciation, except to say thank you so much. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. Or you can go to our website, faithandfreedom, A-N-D, freedom.us. You click on there and you'll see a, the page will come up. There's a tab there, too. You can contribute online. Thank you so much. Washington Post, they ran an article over the weekend talking about the meetings that are happening, one of which happened over the weekend as well. But they're talking about evangelicals have been co-opted by Trump and by Republicans. That's a headline. Washington Post. I wouldn't even care what they say, except they have a lot of influence. Unfortunately, I wish they didn't. But Friday, the Washington Post featured an article that said, quote, emotions ran high at the gathering of 100 pastors at a church about five miles from Notre Dame University. Many hugged, some shed tears. One pastor confessed she could no, not pray anymore because she's so emotional. These pastors are part of a growing national group, according to the Washington Post, and they're right about that. There is a growing national group, all according to WAPO, the Washington Post, are part of a larger reckoning among individuals grappling with their faith identity in the wake of Donald Trump. They're now attempting to separate themselves from Trump and evangelicalism while creating a new and different gospel, but they want it to appear to be the old gospel so people won't, you know, exit their churches and their spheres of influence. Why are they so obsessed with Donald Trump? I think that's the one thing that they think can strike a spark and get media for their cause. 
I suppose, and they probably personally dislike, many of them hate him. I mean, they say so. But a California pastor defined the meeting as a desire for belonging for pastors who feel homeless. The Washington Post article claims, quote, many of these leaders were startled to learn that about 8 out of 10 white evangelicals voted for Trump in both of his presidential runs. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a moment. I don't think any of these guys in these meetings, I'm just being honest with you, I don't believe any of these guys who are pastoring or some of them are lecturers or like evangelists that go from church to church, those welcoming churches that are, you know, inclusive and, and so on. I don't think they were shocked by those numbers. I think they knew that. They're, they're not that uninformed. But anyway, they told the Washington Post that, oh, they were shocked that 80, that 8 out of 10, 80% of white evangelicals, generally speaking, voted for Trump. They couldn't imagine evangelicals voting for such a man of sin, a man of reproach, a man who's been married more than once, and so on. I mean, they went on and on about it. The Post said, as the pastors traded stories, they quickly found shared experiences. They lamented that their conservative evangelical parents who watch Fox News as well as their peers who had re-examined their beliefs so much that they lost their faith entirely. They are blaming biblical evangelicals for what they're practicing as they reimagine the gospel. They're saying that the people that are biblical are reimagining the gospel. Let that sink in. The Post says pastors traded stories. They found a common ground. The Post notes that most of the leaders held some belief, some belief, I'm quoting the Post, some belief in Jesus and the idea that people gathering in churches is still a good idea. But the main thrust of the meeting and others, according to the Post, like this one, it is convening, and they are all around the country, is to identify a new theology a post-evangelical, post-Trump belief in a church culture. They're seeking a different gospel. The New Testament says those who create a new gospel are accursed. But that's another one of those verses that we set aside for the sake of progress. Many of the churches, the Post says, I'm quoting them, quote, many want their churches to be affirming, meaning that they would perform gay weddings that include LGBTQ people in leadership and membership. Well, how can we discriminate them when Jesus died for everyone? Do you get the mix of truth and false? That's the world we live in today, even in the church. They preferred curiosity over certainty, inclusion over exclusion, the Washington Post concludes, Jeff Bezos' newspaper. They also vocally oppose radical racial injustice. And Donald Trump, who led it, this is a quote. Amy uh, Michael is one of the, they got a whole bunch of pastors in there. I wrote an article on this today. You can access that article at faithandfreedom.us, our website. And I've got a link in there to all this stuff if you, if you want to look into it more deeply. But Amy Michael is one of the pastors in attendance. And she's very active in the leadership of this new thought movement. And it is growing. I mean, I, I wouldn't even talk about it if it wasn't getting national attention in the media and in, in big media sources. I mean, they're corrupt, but they're big and a lot of people read them. And she has a lot of influence. 
because she was uh, one of the pastors on the Chicago-based megachurch Willow Creek. Willow Creek led, kind of led the parade on church growth and how to grow your church big and make a mega church out of a little church and so on over the years. And um, I'm very familiar with that church and some of the people that have been there in the past. Well, she was on staff there, but she started a new church now, and she's well-known, a church called a Restoration Church. She says she's avoiding some of the pitfall strategies of other evangelical churches, like she said some churches she knows takes pictures from the ceiling to count attendance. And she said, we're moving away from that. I mean, she actually said that. I thought, what? I mean, I was a pastor, and I didn't take pictures from the ceiling, but I kind of wanted to know how many people were in church. I mean, I did have people that counted each of the services. I mean, I just wanted to know. But she's moving away from taking, I, I mean, it. you can't piece it all together, but I'm just giving you the parts of what these people are saying. As a pastor, she's encouraging her congregants to reconsider God. God, she says, has male pronouns. Should we really be referring? This is an old thing. I mean, it's been around forever, even in Christian universities and colleges. Well, if God is neither male nor female, he must be both. No, he's neither. He's all things. As a pastor, she said, we must reconsider God having male pronouns. In other words, he should be a she. And she says, quote, the hardest part is that we were taught to take the Bible literally, and we can't do that. We want to be in a place that asks more questions than provides answers. So these churches are going out there, they're being formed, they're getting international attention, and they say their goal is to ask more questions than they can answer. Yeah, that's what the world needs, is more confusion today. The message of Jesus Christ is pretty direct, and it shouldn't be confusing. Some people may misunderstand the value of the cross because of their culture, but they can be taught. I've been in those cultures. But I will tell you, Christianity is not complicated, folks. We either accept Jesus Christ as God's only begotten Son, who came to earth, God became flesh, and dwelt among us, we might say, well, how can that happen? But the point is, it happened. He was born of a Virgin Mary. He was raised. He had a ministry. He was crucified, killed, because the church, the religious people, hated him, the leaders. And so they had him killed. They set it up. They put him in the tomb, and they thought, the Roman people and the church, the religious leaders, thought, wow, we finally silenced that voice. And lo and behold, come Sunday, after they buried him, on Friday, the voice was not silenced. God resurrected his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we live not by our own power, but by the power of Christ. Now, I may be a simple man, but that's the gospel. And that's what Jesus told us to go into all the world and tell the world. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. And when we accept him by faith, and we, we confess that we do have sins, we're not enlightened people. 
good grief. I mean, enlightened people don't elect Joe Bidens to be president. He doesn't even know where he is half the time. And I, I say that, honestly, with I feel sorry for him. But I feel sorry for America as well. A president who professes to be a devout Christian, a devout Catholic, shuffling around, not even knowing where he is on the world stage, who is the leader of the most prominent and the most powerful nation on earth. A nation founded on godly principles. That's where we find ourselves today, and it's because of compromise. And these people are out there pushing compromise as though they discovered it. And it's been around from the beginning of time. It was it was Satan who approached Eve on the basis of compromise. He didn't suggest to Eve that she become a serial murderer. No, no, no. He, he just asked the question. He asked more questions than he had answers for. He was the profile, or these churches are the profile of Satan himself, under the guise of Christianity, reimagining, reconsidering God, asking questions, but not having answers or solutions because we don't want to put ourselves out there. Somebody might disagree with us. That's the world we live in. That's, I mean, one of the leaders of this pastor's meeting was Scott Erickson. He's in kind of a Austin, Texas-based artist, but he speaks a lot at these churches. And the other co-leader of this meeting was Britt Barron. She's a black Mexican lesbian who worked for a megachurch in Southern California. I think I know which one, but I'm not going to mention it because I'm not, I haven't been able to verify that, but I would have mentioned it had I been able to. But it's a large church. You would know the church. It's an evangelical church. She was on staff there. And then she came out as a lesbian. She said she was able to come out when she read the Christian, a Christian author of the late Rachel Held Evans. I talked about Rachel Held Evans before she passed away on this program, how she had come out. She was had an influence over a bunch of young people across the nation. And they, they really highly esteemed her and her leadership and so on. And then she came out as a lesbian in 2016. I talked a lot about it on this program at the time. But anyway, this this girl here, this lesbian girl, um, she says that that was her kind of her epiphany when Rachel Held Evans came out as a lesbian. She also came out as a lesbian. Anyway, she's kind of a leader in this Restoration Church movement. And as I said, they're all around the country. They're not just tucked away in New York City or Los Angeles or whatever. But I wrote about the probable consequences when Rachel Held Evans came out and said, you know, I, I've studied the scriptures and I, there's nothing there. God's inclusive and God loves every before God so loved the world, you know, and, and, and God will not condemn people because he loves them and, and so on. And so she declared herself. And I can tell you with certainty there were probably thousands of other people who did the same because people with influence have influence. Paul begins the last letter that he ever wrote, 2 Timothy. He begins it with these words, This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. In verse 2 through 4, he talks about what that looks like. He said, Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, and so on. In verse 5, he gives identity and instruction to those people. He said, they are having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. 
And I'm going to leave you with that today because we've run out of time. From such, turn away. I will be advocating, I am today, and I will be advocating each and every day that God allows me to be on this radio program, that you turn away from such things, because that leads to ultimate destruction, compromise, not only of your own life, but of the lives of many others. Thanks for being with me today. We will continue tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.